Crash Course in History, Rabbi Bleiweiss, session number three. We are um, just about to get, we're about to sink into Egypt before it's too late. Uh, the 49 levels of Tuma, and Am Yisrael leaves Egypt, and we see the, the holidays follow a life cycle pattern. Pesach is birth, we're born as a nation that Yitzhak is trying. Shavuos Matan Taira is, uh, is Bar Mitzvah, if you will, as we receive the Taira. And Sukkot is our formal marriage, Knesset Yisrael, Am Yisrael with, uh, with the Shechina, as we, as, as we uh, finally, finally come in and have a full union um, under, under, uh, with these circumstances. So Am Yisrael is born, as it were, when we left Mitzrayim. Um, the event, in many ways, more than we can count, and I refer you to the Maharal of Prague for a very, very um, important, profound explanation about how this fits together. It was Bidavka, the, the Pasuk says, Bechipazon, with haste, uh, just like at birth. There's a sense of urgency, and just get to the hospital right now, water's broke, it's got to get out right now, and without much warning, and that was the, that was the nature of the Yitzia. Um, had we stayed for an extra element, we would have sunk to the last level and it would have been irrevocable. Uh, we, would, we would have been stuck, stuck there. And it's very much like an egg when it's incubating. If it, if it hatches at that moment, like birth as well, um, it'll be good. And if it goes beyond that moment, it can putrefy. Um, so too, we would have putrefied and we find many things work this way. There's big, deep Kabbalistic ideas here. The Jews had brought with them their regal ways. The Jews, Am Yisrael, were fine, refined people striving for a level of kedusha, decency, of holiness in the world. And, um, and we almost sunk. Um, Egypt, we know, was depraved. Like the, what other, what other nations are known for their, for their depraved ways? Uh, later, I'm talking about the times, of the, uh, times that we're in right now. The Canaanites, the Canaanites. The seven Canaanite nations, they were um, disgusting. Uh, well, I refer you to Parshas Achremos and Rashi there, and describing the various practices, uh, the the, the um, incestuous practices, the Avodah the kinds of uh, the child burnings, and other other kinds of practices in Egypt. Egypt was was much the same, um, and we were let out. We were let out into the within the finest style, regal style, very much each man by his flag, by his uh, by his by his tribe, very organized. Led by led by the greatest of all prophets, Moshe Rabbeinu, Anav Mikol Adam, which is the leadership quality we look for. We don't want. We don't necessarily need a great speaker. In fact, Moshe was famously not a great speaker. He himself says, "Kfad lashon, kfad peh." Heavy of heavy of tongue, heavy of mouth. A tradition that actually a lot of rabbis have continued to this day. The what's that? That's one interpretation that it was a stutter. Other others say it simply wasn't natural. And that's Shem said. That's exactly what we want. All right, in a leader, we need we need the real thing. We don't need we don't need charisma. We don't need um, s- silver tongues or smooth talkers. We need somebody who's the real, authentic article, uh, the genuine sadik. And Moshe Rabbeinu was certainly all that. Uh, in the 19th century, uh, one of the uh, one of the most impactful rabbis uh, um, by the name of Rav Moliver, Rav, Rav, um, Rav, Rav Shmuel Moliver from Warsaw, uh, was a spearhead of what's considered the Mizrahi world. And um, he would go to Baron Edmund de Rothschild in Paris and had to smooth talk the, the Baron into supporting this new project in Rochevot, these uh, farming colonies around, around the, um, this, the country of Palestine. And um, I don't think he got you yet, Yoni. Uh, the country of Palestine and the... Um, here was from Shmuel Moliver, who was this Eastern European, long-bearded, uh, simply garbed, uh, Jew going to this the height of fashion in, in, in the Rothschild mansion, no less, 
and looking looking very very um, not in place. And he, that was exactly his word. He quoted this by Moshe Rabbeinu. He said uh, the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu had to appear this way, had to sound this way, is that the Jews should never have, never be able to argue that they were sweet talked into accepting the Torah. And he said the same. He said for me to for me to convince you of uh, supporting the project in Palestine. Uh, I don't want anybody to say that you were sweet-talked. In any case, the Baron was utterly charmed by this Eastern European Jew and, and decided to dedicate his life towards the project. Um, the, uh, that's a tangent. Moshe Rabbeinu himself was born, had, had a, a certain perfection about him. He was born on the same day that he died, of course. Which holiday, which date was it? Mar tells us Zion Adar, excellent Henry. Zion Adar. And when he, born, when he was born, the Medrash tell, told us that um, he could walk immediately. He had, as we say, he was precocious. He had, he had a certain ability to be more mature. And that quality lasted for his death. In fact, Rashi brings this in Parshish Vayelech. Vayelech Moshe, why does Moshe walk? Because he walks in front of the people. He said, this is the day that I'm going to die. But don't think because of it's any physical infirmity uh, that I'm going to die. It's simply this is the time a Kaddish Baruch is going to take me. Uh, and and at li having lived this kind of perfect life, um, it's not because of physical imperfection, because when you achieve, like we said, this is a running theme through history, when you achieve a spiritual perfection, as we had, for example, where? Where was the spiritual perfection we mentioned uh, a couple days ago? Gan Eden. There was no waste. There was no going to the bathroom. Because when you're, when, you're, when you're spiritually on a on this level of perfection, there's no physical infirmity that's that's human way. So to Moshe Rabbeinu had this quality, and we saw this when he goes up in Harsina and Harsina when he accepts the Torah. Um, he doesn't drink food. He doesn't drink drink, drink uh, liquids. He doesn't eat food. He doesn't eat to. He's not he's not subject subject to physical limitations. How would he Say it again. How would he figure out that he needs to eat? He listened to what Hashem said to do, and he did, and 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 took care of him. Well, I think we went up a second time. Same thing. Why? No, he didn't have any. He didn't sin. True. Right. That experience the whole is different than the physical frailty is a product of sin. Yeah, he didn't have any frailty, so he was he was he was fine. Hashem took care of him. Wasn't the first experience different at all than the second experience? For the Jews, not for not for not for Moshe Rabbeinu. The Jews were diminished by their sin, not Moshe. Moshe actually was in, was was uh, was really improved as a result because he had further schuyos, further mitzvahs, having having uh, defended the Jews successfully. The uh, yeah, yeah, we see we see we see this we see this again. I'm pointing these things out as we do this patterns in history that you see. I mean, there's nobody like Moshe Rabbeinu. That's true, but um, but but we, we 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 certainly walk in his footsteps and try to try to achieve a similar you know spiritual greatness if we can in, in our own in our own limited ways. The um, he is the greatest Navi ever known, Lokambi Israel, owed like like Moshe, he knew Hashem, as we say, Panim al Panim, which means he spoke to him through the what the what was described, the Khazal described as the Aspaklaria Hamidira. Um, most of us don't have that kind of relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Even of the 11 levels of prophecy that the Rambam delineates in the Mornavuchim, the 11 levels of prophecy going from lowest to highest, Navuah is the ability to speak to Kaddish Baruch Hu, but most of the lower levels of Navuah, it's like, you know what I picture, one of those, um, one of those shower panes, the shower doors, where it's kind of like foggy, and you can see, but you, kinda like make, you can't really make out what's going on through I there. I don't think anyone does that, <laughs> but okay. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's, yeah. it's oh, I, like, yeah. a like a shower door that's not clear. We understand the concept. You understand the concept. It's it's opaque. It's not it's not see through. So Moshe Rabbeinu's connection with the Kaddish Baruch was see through. It was totally transparent, as as is reflected in in, in the Chazal Aspaklaria Hamiira. It was completely was it, clear. Was it the same as the Avos? 
Moshe's was the highest, even though they had Nebuah, Moshe's was un, 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 uh, beat, not beat. Ha- Hashem calls Moshe Benu uniquely his Evid. He is Hashem's prototype of an Evid. What's that? Ishaelokim is another expression for him. And he didn't want the job. He wasn't looking. He was a reluctant leader, which again is the best kind. Uh, we're not looking for people. Misha, as we learn in Pirkei Avos, Misha rodef acharei kavod, somebody who chases for honor, kavod rodef boreach mimenu. Honor runs away from him. Misha boreach mina kavod, conversely, somebody who um, escapes, flees honor, hakavod rodef achara. The honor runs after him, as was the case with Moshe and really most of our greatest leaders. The last thing in the world was they, they were looking for was some kind of prestige, some kind of honor. The uh, We mentioned Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt. It's the most frequently mentioned event by the Jews. It comes up by us constantly. Shabbos and Moed, every Kiddush. Uh, it's a Torah obligation to remember our roots, where we come from. Uh, it's the way we show basic gratitude to, a, to, a, to Hashem. Uh, we mentioned this before, but this is such a profound point. Maybe if you even know it, maybe you haven't thought through all the ramifications. This notion we mentioned on, on uh, Thursday that only Klal Yisrael has collective revelation. Does anybody here not know what I mean? And please be honest, it's fine if you don't. What do I mean that only Klal Yisrael has collective revelation? That we're the only religion that can justifiably claim that more than like maybe two people. Right, and the and the other religions, no, other religions have maybe a committee of three or four, yeah. but it's your word versus theirs. You have to take their word for it that they experience a divine revelation, a divine no encounter. There's no way, and, and most of the time, and most of those reasons, they're cynical. They're putting it over for all kinds of reasons. It's not something you can rely on. Here, even the smallest shifcha, this is the famous mandrus, even the lowest maidservant at the Yamsu at, at Har Sinai. Um, was on a level of prophecy. Every Jew attained prophecy during the revelation. Even the lowest level Jew was on a higher level than a Navi like Yechezkel. Wow. Yechezkel, and what's significant about Yechezkel? What, Yechezkel um, what, what was his prophecy? Yeah. We'll get to him. He prophesied the end of days more elaborately than any other Navi. What else does Yechezkel give us? He gives us the vision of the third base of Mikdash. He gives us the, he gives us the most detailed um, description of the Maisim Merkava. The, the divine throne of Hashem's glory. What is and and, and, and a low, the lowest level shifcha and every other Jew possible was there, saw, ex- encountered a Kaddish Baruch Hu on, 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 the most, on the most elevated level imaginable. Was and that just how Sinai how it was? Or like, like, was that? Is, was, it, was, it, was that just how it was in Har Sinai? Like yes, all the Jews had attained this level through working on themselves. They worked on they themselves? They worked on themselves. They earned it. They didn't just, Hashem didn't do this as a favor. They earned it, and that's why when they said significantly, the most, two of the most significant words in all of history, of course, Nasev and Ishma, we will do, we will check. In other words, they trusted in Hashem, we, Nasev, we will do it, and then afterwards we'll try to understand the Pshat, but the Torah is given on the basic premise that it is a Gzeros HaKasur, HaKadosh Baruch Hu decreed and we do. After, the, after we accept that basic axiom, then afterwards we work on doing and, and trying to understand as best we can. And there's, a, there's an Indian to try to understand Ta'ameh HaMitzvah. What are Ta'ameh HaMitzvahs for? The reasons behind the mitzvahs? Why should we understand? If we're just doing it, we're just going, Hashem said, so I just do it. What's the law? I do the law, and then we go accordingly. Why, do we, why, why, why should we understand the Ta'ameh HaMitzvahs? More motivated for sure, but it goes much deeper than that. When the Ramban says Kedoshi to you, you have, you can't possibly know how to be a Kadosh unless you try to understand to the deepest of your of your capacity. 
one of the things most of us are learning in Kedushin, we learn it's not enough just to get the shot and to translate and get the bottom line halacha. You have to understand the emes. And if something doesn't make sense to you, we're the most intellectually honest religion. There's no other, no other religion that, that puts before every single Jew the prospect of Torah, which is all of life, and tells you, go make this make sense. And if you're not satisfied with this, keep arguing and asking questions until it starts to make sense. And I'm sorry for my share for a little repetition, but this idea that they said when they sent you off to yeshiva for a year or five, that they and they, and, and they said, ooh, Kobe, you're gonna go, but they're gonna brainwash you for that idea before. They, they told you that it's the opposite of true. It's a very unfair statement. Nobody's telling you what to believe. Quite the contrary. I hope to really anger you here. I want to say a few things that are gonna get under your skin, and they're gonna take me on. We're gonna argue until you're satisfied. If you're not satisfied. Don't believe me. Right? That's the system of the Torah. It's the most intellectually rigorous system. It's understanding what Hashem's will is for us in this world. We all got this collectively. Every Jew standing there got that. And that means that that year at Pesach Seder, and there was a Pesach Seder, they said it over. And the child, the children asked the four questions. And the father said it. And the next year, the same process repeated itself. And there's not been a year since then that we have not sat down with our families around the table and repeated the same story of the exodus from Egypt and the fact that Ben Sparkle gave us all of this glory. And therefore, nobody made it up. And it was the most straightforward argument. If you think it through with all of its lots of ramifications, this is based on my idea right now is not mine. Obviously, it's the Kuzari, the Ramban develops this, and many other people develop this. This is the idea of collective revelation. It's the proof that it's true. Who could have made it up at any point? And we're the most strong-willed, some would even say, I'm um, stiff-necked people out there. If this was a conspiracy, do you think we would have fallen for it? Not in a million years. We were too intellectually um, strong for this and too, too stubborn to just accept a bill of goods that's not real. The fact that it's been happening ever since, every year since, and, and, and get this also, this just adds whipped cream on top, the fact that we've endured this rigorous exile all over the world almost, in every different nation, every different country we were, and every father sits down with his kids and tells the same story, and we're still telling the same story, uh, further verifies it. Yes, Howard. Weren't all the original followers of Christianity Jewish? Yeah, so what? There was no collective revelation. They're the ones who put over to the world, it's the handful of them, that this is the package, the Yashu is the Mashiach. How did they know the, Mas- the Yashu is the Mashiach? The Mashiach? Because they said not the Mashiach. I wouldn't need his cashews. Uh, uh, how did they know that he's the Mashiach? Because they said so. Oh, it doesn't mean the Jews don't go out. So a lot of Jews don't appreciate this basic fact of collective revelation. And you know what, people, I mean, you're getting into Christianity. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll get to Christianity at one point. I don't know if you realize this. I, I lied a little bit. I, I'm sorry. I can't help it. I, I'm really doing my best to run through history, and we are going pretty quickly. I don't know if I'll finish everything. Maybe we'll have a chance in the course of the year to finally get through everything. But um, there are just too many good things to do. And I can't just rattle off a bunch of dates and names and faces. That's not interesting. In other words, I'm trying to give you history's greatest hits here. That's why Rapitin correctly said he's not sure how long this is going to take. We're starting the process. Hopefully, the Zashem by the end of the year will finish the crash course in history. It'll be a finite number. It won't be anywhere near the 130 some odd lectures that I that I give online. I, this is a condensed version, but we have to we have to at least absorb some of the basic facts of history. Go ahead. That's why I like to keep it loose. Have we already gone over the ten plates? Not even. I skipped them. But I'm happy to go back to them. I, anything I skip in history that you want to know about, you have a question about, not that I have all the answers by any by any stretch, but if there's something I, I, that you never understood, you want to understand how it fits in, especially in the historical art, but anything, ask. Does I'm skipping all kinds of critical things. Does it have to make scientific What is it? Does it have to make scientific sense? Is it possible that it should alter the laws of the world? 
Um, we learned we learned the the, the difference in Nase Nisar and Nase Galui today in the Ramban. Um, the hidden miracles and revealed miracles, and that's the difference. Hidden miracles come within the natural order, and therefore it makes they make scientific sense, even though they don't really. I mean, come on, breathing. That makes sense to you? Science explains it. It's still a miracle. It's a hidden miracle because you don't notice it. Right. How do you know to breathe? How did that baby know how to take that first, first breath? That's a hidden miracle. Revealed miracle was Kriyas Yamsu. Was, 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 uh, was the, the, the sound of the shofar that increased against the natural order. The sound which fades out ordinarily. The sound of the shofar by Arsini only got louder. So that was, that was an open miracle. Some of the things could be explained away rationally. Many of them can't be. What's the, so, so what? Lamai nafkamina? What you're getting is something with this. No, I, that, was, that, was the, that was the end of the question. I wanted, like, like, obviously, we don't, we don't understand the world completely. Correct. That's part of the package. But, but we don't understand the Torah completely. There's certain aspects. The nature of a chok in the Torah, there's chok in mishpat. They're the intuitively logical laws, mishpat, not to murder, not to steal. And then there's hope. There's shatnes and kashrus and many, many others that we do because Hashem said so. And there are profound meetings. There are ta'ameha mitzvot. There are reasons for the mitzvot. But at a, at a core level, we do them because Hashem said. And that's the same thing with, with taking in Hashem's miracles in the world. The, um, we left Egypt chamushim. Which means that we weren't, we were armed, but more famously, only a minority of us left Mitzrayim. Only a minority of us left Mitzrayim. How many? Chamushim? 20%. What happened to the rest? They died. They died during the Makas Choshev, during the plague of darkness. It's true, they did die. Uh, what this means, though, is that we've always had attrition, meaning there have always been a core of strong Jews. And there are others who, well, in the case of Egypt, they fell into the literal flesh pots. The, as the expression is in the Torah, in Parshish Baloscha, the flesh pots of Egypt, because they, they enjoyed the good life and they weren't so interested in leaving. Today, people who, are, who study demographics, Jewish demographics, get, get understandably strung out over the fact that the, um, the assimilation is going through the roof. We talked about this recently, but we also made the point that to Jews, Baruch Hashem, we have a nice solid core today as much as we've ever had, and we're not, we're not about to grow extinct. Um, this has been a pattern that's gone all the way back in, in Hebrew, in, 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 our, in, in history. Um, the, uh, we were attacked along the way. We were attacked on, along the way. I also skipped, excuse me, Shira Sayam, just to mention that Shira Sayam is the deepest expression of the Neshama. Song being the deepest expression that a person can achieve in trying to articulate what's, what's going on in the depths. It's a little distracting back there. Yeah, the, um, song is the, is, is the most, is the most, um, potentially uplifting Yo. aspect. What's the quintess what's Yo, the quintessential song that we have eventually? Who has who has the monopoly on the greatest songs of all times? That's not Mozart and not Beethoven. Not David. David's pretty good, but there's there are people who got to him. The Levim and the Beis Hamikdash. Listen to Levim and the Beis was a transporting experience, and the song, as we see, there there are some of the key points along the way. The Shira Sayam, the Shira Sebe'er. There are all kinds of important songs. These are the most potentially uplifting, the most singing the Mashiach, the most sublime kinds of music. Yeah. Um, this is not necessarily relevant, but it is relevant. It's history. It says like uh, I forgot which one of the Shlatim slept with Yaakov's wife, and um, 
Reuven didn't though. Right, right, right. And and it says that that David and Bathsheba were like a big deal. And Misha Omesha David Chata Ino Olatoa, the Gemara and Shabbos says. Anybody who says that David um, sinned in the way it sounds like is mistaken. So a safe, safe assumption would be what they explain it is that since they're great, the Torah emphasized how bad it was. Right. They're held to a high standard. But it's not what it sounds like, correct? So what are you asking about that? But like by Moshe, when he hit the stick, all they said was they hit the stick. And then say they committed some major heresy. Right. Which, which why would they choose those two people specifically for all the Tadikin that they claimed did horrendous things, but... but why single them out for the yeah. punishment? When there are people there. When you see the greatest Siddiquim of all time, every one of them is treated harshly. That's a sign of the greatness. If they were wimps, if they were lesser spiritual selves, HaKadosh Baruch would have taken easier on them. Because they couldn't take it. The fact that he judges the Siddiquim by a hair's breadth shows their relative greatness. By Moshe, they didn't say that when he hit the stick, all they said that he, he hit the stick. Does it hit the rock? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Go ahead. And by Aaron, even when he uh, when when he worshipped the eagle, he never worshipped. Right, the exactly. But they simply he was trying to stall for time. Right. I don't, did they say that he worshipped? Never. Right, exactly. That's the point. Yeah. Should've, but relative to Aaron, he should have done differently. Relative right. to yeah. So, so what do you what do you? The question is, they didn't exaggerate Moshe and Aaron, but they exaggerated all the other two. No, in other areas we see a, a great harshness. I mean, the fact that Moshe could never come into Eretz Israel is the ultimate harsh punishment. But they never said that he did something horrendous, even though he was punished. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, it sounds much worse by the others. Fair enough. I don't know. I, I just, it's a good question. I haven't considered it. I don't have, I don't have a, a canned answer to it. Uh, you know, there's why do the others sound really bad, but actually they're much lesser. Yeah. Um, if you study by David and Mela, if you look at the depth of defense that Chazal give, it actually doesn't even sound that bad. Yeah, I, it really I, doesn't I, I, sound that bad. It's it's on the surface we're projecting usually from ourselves and our own lives and assuming the worst, and that's what we have to catch ourselves. It's really not that bad. The it's not only it's not, it's not majorly distracting. We might be distracting. The uh, Amalek attacks us on the way they represent. They assert themselves. Doc at this at this peak this this, this this peak experience. This, this zenith kind of experience in history, and they're coming to subvert the Jews when they're downtrodden and weak. They represent the ultimate evil stop. They represent the ultimate evil um, because they don't accept any meaning. And not only that, you can't talk reason with them. They will kill you when you're down. They'll kill you when you're up. And they despise meaning. They're resentful when you're leading a life of goodness, as we experienced in Parshish yesterday. Parshish the Shavuah and told us, Esav not only sells his Bechor, he despises the Bechor. Because when he sees Yaakov leading, leading a life of beauty and purpose and meaning, he's resentful. On some level, there's a sense of threat, feeling threatened and resentment. Look, you have all this good spiritual stuff. I can't leave you alone to do your spiritual thing. I have to kill you because your presence makes me feel guilty. Read, I refer you to Hitler's Mein Kampf. For, comp for comparison, he says, we will never forgive the Jews in the world, I'm paraphrasing, but this is the gist of what he writes, for giving the world conscience. Because what we want to return the world to, Hitler was a, what dreamed of being, of returning the world, reverting the world to a state of idyllic pagan, uh, pagan amorality. 
And he said, we'll never forgive the Jewish, and he hated Christians too, but not as much as the Jews, because he knew, he knew the source, um, giving the world a sense of higher consciousness, because now we can't do our pagan, um, we, can't, we can't somehow uh, go, about, uh, go, about, go about doing our immoral acts in the world without, without feeling somehow a twinge of, 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 uh, of guilt. And they'll never forgive us for us, and that's Amalek. Amalek does resents the Jews for making them feel guilty, Alex. Is it only Amalek because uh, I don't know if this is the same idea, but like sometimes, for example, if you're with let's say lesser from Jews, right? It's a quality of Amalek, meaning Amalek is is the emblem, is the is the uh, image, the symbol of this quality. But one finds this quality in a lot of people, and you're 100 percent on the right topic. One of the most profound insights is when people resent religious Jews for being religious, and they look for fault, a lot of what's going on there, I don't mean to oversimplify, a lot of what's really going on there is that sense of resentment. Look, you guys are supposed to be the more religious, and I'll never forgive you for that. It's the way, honestly, the world often looks at the Jews as the Amskula, as the chosen people, and they don't, they, they, they're, 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 Is that what we're always held? fact that Israel's always in the news. Always. Double standard. Double standard. We claim we claim some kind of moral imperative. We're going to keep this moral imperative. And if we really do, they, they hold us up and they hold us to a standard that's impossible to keep. And everybody who scratches his eyebrow in, a, in, in, a, in, in an untoward way is held accountable accordingly. When the Jews said Nasa Benishma, the world quaked literally, it changes the world. All of the water of creation, when before we said Nasa Benishma, the primal depths, the water that was contained beneath the surface of the world, um, was about to rise up and flood the universe. And when Am Yisrael said Nasa Benishma, the water was contained. Um, that's a significant. That's a significant event. Yeah, go ahead. How, how did we all say Nasa Benishma together at once? Like. We were on this level of, 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 of pristine spirituality. We knew the right thing to do. When people are intuiting a Kaddish Baruch Hu's will, they're capable of such feats. You could say it's a hidden miracle, but it was done through Bichar Choshis. We, we, we elected to do this. Kaddish Baruch Hu inspired us accordingly. You know, how did all of the 72 Kohanim know how to translate, making the exact same translations? You know what I'm talking about? The story in, in, in the Dharma Gaur Megillah, the Septuagint. How did they know how to make it when you're inspired by Kaddish Baruch Hu, Such things are possible. Are conceivable. By the way, the water was contained with a shard of pottery uh, by by, by Matan Taira beneath the surface. At one point in history, they were almost unplugged. Somebody pulled up that shard of pottery. Anybody know what I'm referring to? Gemara Matas. Dovid Melech goes digging down at the foundations of the base of Mikdash before the base of Mikdash is built, and he finds the shard of pottery, and it speaks to him. And it says, don't pick me up. If you pick me up, the world will be destroyed. I don't, I don't think it spoke like Gumby, but something like that. Uh, and, um, and David said, for all kinds of deep reasons that aren't evident in the Gemara, he picks up the shard of pottery. And the world is about to be flooded. And the world is about to be flooded. And he says, if anybody knows how I might contain this world before the world is destroyed, these waters before the world is destroyed, please speak and otherwise strangle yourself. And Achisophel is, is initially quiet. Uh, and later on, he gives the he gives the uh, he gives the recipe to how to contain the waters. Anyway, very significant events, all interconnected. The uh, previous go look at the Gemara and Yud Aleph Amud Aleph in Makos. The uh, up until this point in history, there was a um, a general collective obligation on all of humanity to have children, and fill the world. 
from this point in history, all of time changes because the Jews said Nazav and Ishma, and they had the chance. The Medrash tells us that the nations of the world were offered the Torah in succession, and when Ishmael was given the option, Ishmael said, well, what's written in it? And, and Hashem said, lo seek zolt, not to steal. And they said, what are you talking about? We live on theft. We can't go without theft. And then they asked Esau, and he said, what are you talking about? We live on murder. We can't go without murder. And the Jews said Nazav and Ishma. Um, Rev. Noah Weinberg, the founder in Rosh Hashiva, late founder of Rosh Hashiva of Eishat Torah, asked the question hypothetically: What if the Medrash had asked the Jews? What if, what if, what if the Jews had asked the question, "What's written in it?" And Hashem would have given our Achilles heel. What would be the Achilles heel of all the mitzvahs of the Tari mitzvahs in the Torah? Would you imagine? There's no one right answer, but I, I got this. I guessed this, and it was the one Rav Noah had in mind. What will be the answer? What will be the Jewish people's collective historical Achilles heel of not necessarily getting them in the Torah? Nah, most people are bad at that. Not, it's not uniquely Jewish per se. Jews per se? No. I guess this one. I'm trying this one out of mind. What do you say? No. No, there's something worse. There's something that we have a collective yes. problem with ongoing. No, I alluded to it before. They have to lerecha kamocha. Oh. Right? Because we don't naturally love each other like we should. Right, and that we would if you had Hashem said we say oh we can't do that. But Baruch Hashem we didn't we didn't have that exchange. But that's when we have to work on. It's it. pretty benign. Uh, that's when we have to work. It's debatable. You, you can talk about it. In any case, yeah, go ahead. No, no, that was the defining moment in our in our history. You know, so, Hashem has a mountain over there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so let's say, like, one of the other nations who accepted the Torah, like, would they, like, have been, like, <laughs> <laughs> I guess hypothetically. It didn't happen that way, but hypothetically, I guess so. Even though it seemed to be very much inevitable, but it, there's no point in history it's inevitable because it's all up to our choice, freedom of choice. With that logic, the entire Torah would start saying our story and then just switch to another person. Right. When the Jews said this now, suddenly there's no obligation on the nations of the world to have children. By the way, nobody needs to form any vigilante squads and say, I'm sorry, ma'am, you can't have that baby now. Uh, you have no mitzvah to do so. That's not an obligation, but it is only the obligation only devolves on Kalal Yisrael. Why? Because we're here to teach a Kaddish Baruch Hu's will in the world. It only makes sense for Jews um, to have children on this, on this level and, and, and thereby have a transmission of the system. Only this point... Are we will we become Hashem's children, as it were? The Torah, we know, uvara alma. The Zohar teaches what do those famous words mean. uvara alma. You know the expression? Very famous expression in the Zohar. He looked in the Torah and created the world. The Torah is the blueprint of all of creation. It's intrinsic in everything in the world. You get that when people do things like, for example, you ever been through anybody um, actually mourn one of the seven close people or visited somebody who's in mourning. And they, people utter the idea, express the idea that, wow, the laws of mourning are so in tune with what I need right now. It's exactly, how does Hashem know that this is exactly what I need? And the answer is, well, of course Hashem knows what you need, because the Torah knows you better than you, than you know yourself. If you follow the Torah, it's always healthy. It's always good for you, because the Torah is the blueprint. Of course it makes sense. Of course it fits exactly what, what we're supposed to be doing in this world. The... Um, Chaita Egel was not a Vodazara. Most Mufarshim explained. It was not an attempt to serve it. It was not accepted it. It was a miscalculation for a new nation that was unsure of where it was holding. The Satan confused us. We didn't know why Moshe didn't come down. We looked for a leader. And, but we were worshipping Hashem in the wrong way. 
that was that, but that was the miscalculation of the Chayta Egel. Only, in fact, 3,000 Jews participated of the probably estimated three over 3 million Jews who were present. It was a minority of a minority of a minority. less than 1% of the nation participated in the Chayta Egel. The rest is blamed. Why? It's further proof of the transcendent level of the Jews in these days. They should have stopped it and known better. They were on that kind of level that they could have and should have stopped it. And that's why they're blamed. Was that? The last time that there's collective punishment in history, anybody knows, coming coming in a, a really soon. No, way long time ago. There's not been, Hashem has not held us collectively responsible because we're on a lower level. The last time there was collective punishment. No, no, no. no, no, no. There's an unlike little Joshua Yericho. When Achan steals steals uh, the plunder from Yericho, the Jews lose the Battle of Ha'ai, and 36 Jews die, and that's collective punishment for the uh, one individual because they all were held responsible. That's the exalted love of the Jews. From that point on, we're never held accountable uh, in all of history. The um, Originally, we were supposed to enter the land of Canaan how many days after Matatur and Chorif? Beginning of the Parsha. The beginning of the Parshas, Parshas Devarim, 11 days later. It's supposed to be 11 days later. Um, who who uh, prevented that from happening? The Miragli. When the, when, they, when the spies came back offering the ill report, and the Jews, some of the Jews at least, believed them, they revealed their weakness under strain, and Hashem saw not as so much as a punishment, because Hashem doesn't punish us to be punitive, meaning He doesn't get any kicks out of making us squirm down here. He realizes we're not ready. Everybody needs its proper incubation state. Every, every process needs the proper incubation. We needed the 40 years in the Midbar as a way of preparing ourselves as one generation mostly dying out and new genera- generation being born to be trained how to have the Torah and live the Torah in this idyllic kind of surrounding in the Midbar in order for us to be ready and prepared psychologically to enter Eretz Yisrael. Daniel? Wait, so, so what happened when the spies came out of Israel early on? Yeah. We were all right next, right there and then we just weren't. Right. We almost crossed. Look at the beginning. Rashi said the beginning of Harsh's of, of Dvarim. He says we were in Chorah. We were almost going to get there in 11 days. And we blew it. And the chef said, they're not ready. Wait, so how did they, could they, could they just not go on anyway? Yeah. No, 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 they didn't know. Hashem, Hashem, yeah, runs the world. So, so he what, made what a, he, he, he made us wander as we did in the desert for 40 years. Is, is yes. Is like, like you're just going in a straight line? But, but it wasn't really wandering. It wasn't like a struggle. No, it, was it nice. wasn't. It was, it was delivery camps, all very clearly charted. Look at Parshas Ma. Parshas Ma say we know exactly where we were. Where where was the twenty fifth encampment relevant to this month? What is what is what is that the twenty fifth of this month? Kislev. Hanukkah. Hanukkah, the first day of Hanukkah. Where was the twenty fifth of the encampment of the Jews in the desert? Well, just coincidentally, a place called Chashmona. Yeah. Wow. And there are a hundred other um, references to um, Hanukkah in the Torah itself. Chashmona. Chashmonaim, of course, being the operative family who led the revolution against the Greeks. So that's anticipated too. We should have now gone in directly and we, because of our sins, we didn't get there. Um, we needed, what, we, what you can look at collectively is boot camp. What's boot camp in the army? You gotta be trained, you gotta go through training. We went through basic training. They subsisted on man, on spiritual, on spiritual food. They, they drank water from the Be'er Shomirium. The clothing never wore out. In other words, they were living this physically perfect life. They didn't have any concerns. Their feet never swelled, even if even if they were on the road for a long time. Um, they had by daytime what was above their heads, 
Uh, 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 and then the couple, what, what holiday did we just have that celebrated the other couple? Right by nighttime, it was, it, the, those, those, the, those those clouds of glory became became amud haish. Uh, basically, you know, a staff of fluorescent light that lit up our lit up our camp by was nighttime, so we were we were safe. We were um, we were fully immersed during the forty years in what. Tyra. Learning Tyra. That's what we did day and night. There was nothing, no distraction. You didn't have to get Parnassa. The man came down. You had a, you had a sushi steak. What was your choice? Tacos. Anything you felt like. Taco night. Right. Taco night tonight. It's when everyone knew it was all all physical needs were taken care of. You didn't have a closet of clothes. You didn't need clothes. You didn't need anything. Right. You had Torah. Have Torah. will travel. Right. The Shechina carried. Um, they carried the Shechina in their midst. In the holy, had the Shechina manifest in their midst. Quite literally. The and the Mishkan in the holy sanctuary in the desert with a perfect military arraignment around them each each man according to his tribe it was rigorous but also somehow sublime it was it was it was the closest humanity has ever achieved short of Gan Eden it was the closest we achieved to having the heavens in this world and it wasn't real and for that reason it was inferior to when we go into Eretz Israel. why? Real. Because it wasn't real. In other words, the real test of humanity and the reason why people can be on a higher level than the angels is because give us an option to live in this world and to fail in the physical desires that we have and to, and to beat the odds anyway and to, and, to, and to live by Torah in the physical world in Eretz Yisrael and we can attain an even higher level. Um, Bilaam himself, when he tried to curse the Jews, couldn't do it. Hashem wouldn't let him. And anyway, he noticed their transcendence. He saw their, their holiness. How good are your tents? He had to say he had no choice, even though he certainly didn't want to say it. Um, Alex, you had a question I before I didn't give you a chance. Go ahead, Yosef. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, not that important, but did the, uh, did the Greeks uh, take note of anything that happened? Like, with, the, with the war between the, the Jews? And then also did the, the Greeks? Was there any documentation of what happened? You're saying, oh, we were German the Hanukkah now. Okay, I, I, I'm guilty. I, I, I gave the tangent. Yeah. Uh, two things. First off, did the Greeks have any information about that? And also, the Romans read about when they took the information about what? I'm sorry, I'm missing your question. Ah, did they verify our version of the story? Same, same with the Romans. The Romans, the Romans yes. Well, the Romans very interestingly. The Greeks not so much, but the Romans are very meticulous. They kept they kept thorough, rigorous archives. And the one place, for example, that's very telling is the Bar Kokhba revolt. When the Bar Kokhba revolt takes place between 132 and 135 of the Common Era, so um, they're 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 conspicuously not so open one way or the other about what happened. Probably because it was a big embarrassment to them. How could this measly guerrilla fighters of Jews, this measly nation? Um, rise up and actually effectively fight against the Roman machine for so many years, um, arguably in the, based on the Roman ar archives, there's one thing that's very striking, they're so meticulous, they keep such incredible records, um, but suddenly, mysteriously, the 22nd Roman legion is accounted for right before the Bar Kokhba revolt, it's, si it's situated in Egypt, and suddenly it falls off the face of the earth. This was the cave here. Right. Oh, we talked about this. I mentioned this in the caves. Right, exactly. So, so you know, what happened to the 20th Legion? Probably the Jews decimated it. Right? So, they, they, in a sense, they sort of validate our version of the story, indirectly. The, uh, Yoshua received smicha from Moshe Rabbeinu. What's smicha? Ordaining. Ordaining. So that's the little thing. You don't need that necessarily. It means that Moshe received it from Hashem. 
uh, we gave it to the skating to Yeshua, and we have, and you look, I'm, I'm referring to Pirkei Avos, as we see the transmission, and tomorrow I'm going to pass out, Leonardo, I'm going to pass out sheets that actually have the line of smicha from Moshe Rabbeinu down to Marbara Vashi, if you have in the period of the Bavli, of the Talmud Bavli, we can trace the exact line, it's exactly who, in some of the generations, who actually were the conduits of the Masorah, we can trace the oral tradition down to the, fine, to, the, to, the, to the end of the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, when we finally wrote it all down. Um, that's very significant. That there's a, that there's a clear and traceable lineage that we can we can trace this this uh, this transmission. Yeshua's greatest quality imitated his Rebbe in learning Torah constantly. Uh, that was what he did. His book Sefer Yeshua. Anybody learn it here? Learn Sefer Yeshua. Sefer Yeshua deals with the conquest of Eretz Yisrael. It's not complete. It's one of the tragedies of history. Uh, that they never finished the job. It starts in the process of, in the year 1272, according to the timeline. Uh, it's, they, they allocate Eretz Israel to different shvatim, to the different tribes. The book deals with the appointment of the cities of refuge. How many? Five. Seven. Seven. Six. Six. Ah. Six, but really 48, because every city, every Levite city, every, every, every was also doubled as an Irmiklat. So really there are 42 Levite cities plus six that have extra protective qualities as defined in the Gemara and Makos, as cities of refuge. Um, they, uh, B'nai Israel returned to Eretz Israel after an absence of how many years after ya- Yaakov descends to Egypt, coming up in a couple weeks in Parsha. They were gone for a total of 250 right. years. It was 210 years of Shibud Mitzrayim, followed by the 40 years in the Midbar. Yes? Does one of do to Shuba for murder? One can make tshuva on any sin. Sometimes the way to do it is is includes to get a full kapara the death penalty. Okay. That's so, part of the tshuva process. So going to the Ari Mikla, is that that's part of the process of the tshuva, right? Absolutely. For somebody who kills b'shogeg, meaning through negligence, yeah, yeah. then that's the process. Yeah. So I was reading this. I was reading over Shabbos in this book by Ratzwoski, and he said he said that what, if one commits a sin and like they immediately feel bad, that's already enough to tshuva. Good. So is that, what's the point of our neckline? Uh, um, it depends on the nature of the sin. Yeah. Go look at, for more involved um, description about how this works, go look at the Rambam and Hechot Shuvah and how you, go, how you go about doing this. The, um, on the first day, the Jews come back to Eretz Yisrael. Lots of miracles happen on the day, a very eventful day. They, they, they cross the, the yard day, which is colorfully described in Bar and Sota. And then they, they travel a huge distance, all miraculously. They all go up to a special place to... Act, enact the ceremony of the Brachna Klala, namely which place do they go? Har Grizim Har Eva. With Shem in the middle, Moshe and Aaron and some of the Levim standing in the middle, and the Kohanim standing, standing in the middle, and they face the, the different mountains, they give the Bracha, they give the Klala, they build, they build this, this, this altar to Hashem on the mountain, on Har Eva. Uh, there's a place you can go today um, that may not be the altar, although the secular archaeologists who excavated there on Har Eva, which you can't get there today without army escort, uh, but it's one of the more evolving places in Eretz Yisrael. It looks like this. I, I'll bring this city, in the next couple days. Um, it's in a, no city up there. It's Har Eval. What's identified like that today? And um, there's an altar. It's unmistakably an altar. And oh, there's a guy that might look familiar to. That's uh, horrible. Who's, who's uh, standing by this altar? By um, it's they found. Oh, it's you. Um, they found they found um, animal bones, all kosher, mind you, that they date back with the carbon fourteen dating to the days of Yoshua bin Nun. So that was a that was a Who knows? Maybe very suggestive, very possible. Anyway, that's how Rebbe Bal Hagvizim. 
animals or people who went to try to attack the Jews on the way up there, um, when, they, when they launched to attack the Jews, Hashem made a miracle, they immediately soiled themselves. Right? Hashem does all kinds of great things. We just do Hashem's job, Hashem's will, and, uh, and Hashem takes care of us. They, uh, nobody could stand against them. They re-solidify the breast that day. The covenant is made, and it's more significant. The Sforno points out that it's Dafka on the day they come into Eretz Yisrael, because now it's real. In the desert, it was this heavenly existence. It was all theoretical, and now let's get the job done. Here now we have 613 mitzvahs. We're going to carry this out. The first order of business coming into the land is we've got to, we've got to sanctify the land. The Kedusha is established. It's Admas Kodesh Kitsilashaiso. It's going to be holy for how long? Yeshua establishes the initial holiness in Eretz Yisrael for how long? 40 days. No, no, much longer. It lasts all the way to the destruction of the first temple. So we'll get there. Ten years. Much more. About 450 years. No, much more. <laughs> thousand years. Not quite. 750. Oh. Okay, so, so um, the, the, he establishes it for a finite period of time. The Kedushas there, among other things, a lot of mitzvahs them. When this Kedusha suddenly kicks in, what mitzvahs suddenly kick in that Jews never had before? They're Chayav and Orla. The first three years, the first three years of the fruit, they're Chayav and Chala. They, if they cook a if they bake a certain minimal amount of bread, they have to separate and give to the to give to the uh, the Kohen. They're chayav in chadash. That's new fruit. No chadash. Oh, great! You're supposed to ask me. If you don't know, what do you ask? Oh, it's the first of the. If you fruit. don't know, no. What's chadash? What's Not much. What's new with you? The um. Thank you, thank you. You don't. You're supposed to set me up anyway. The um chadash of the new grains. You have to wait a year to the. Okay. Pun, okay. Yeah. All right. I'm supposed to add. So anyway, all of these mitzvahs suddenly come into being, and on this, on, 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 when the first Jews come in, the, the Mishkan, the holy sanctuary where Hashem's presence is, is located in a place called Gilgal, northeast of Yericho, for the first 14 years. I was there, I think. There's no place. We have no place we can identify definitively. <laughs> hey, you might have been in the area. So you were nowhere. No, no, no. Yeah, it's good places. We've got tour guides telling you all kinds of things. Oh, no, we're in Yericho and we're getting up here. Okay. Maybe somebody told you that. It's all conjecture. It's all guess. It may be, it may be true. The, um, at this point, still, while, they, while the Mishkan's in Gilgal, Bamos are mutter. What are Bamos? Right. Making your own altar. You're allowed to do that. Meaning the basic address for most of your korbanos, because they're bringing korbanos in these days, is the Mishkan before the Gilsa Mikdash is built. But if you wanted to bring your own private altar in your backyard, you could do that. That's called the Bama. Uh, not to be confused with the American president. The, um, the, uh, and, and you can do that. Um, can anybody do that today? No. no. Yes. Yes. Go in. Non-Jews can bring Corbonos today. They have to know how to do it properly. There are rules and restrictions, but they can. We can't. That's why they asked from Shah, if you could be a non-Jew for a minute, what would you do? And he said, I'd bring Corbonos. Because huh. Jews are not allowed to. Jews are not allowed to, but, but non-Jews can bring Corbonos. Why? Um, they're not restricted. We are only restricted once your Shalim is built and set, from that point forever, um, we can only bring Corbonos to the base of Mikdash. Right? Without a base of Mikdash, there's simply no option for a Corban. Yeah? Oh, that, I, I, I qualify that, that statement too. Without being in Yerushalayim, there's no, there's no option for a Korban. Uh, there are those who argue, based on legitimate sources, although it's not the accepted view, that even without a base of Mikdash, you could bring certain Korbanos. In Yerushalayim? Even in Yerushalayim. You could bring the Korban Pesach, among others. Uh, good question. Very complicated. I have a share on the subject. It's online. So you go to Paul Rocks? It's, 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 it's a fascinating question. Um, the, uh, 
the man that they collected in the seventh of Adar when Moshe had died lasted now 39 days until the 10th of Nisan when the Jews had come into the land. And suddenly on the 10th of Nisan, they enter a whole new phase of history of Hashkafa Protis, of divine providence, um, where they're on their own. Hashem saying, okay, kids, take off. Go plant your, go plant your produce. Go harvest. Go keep your mitzvahs of Tluyos all the agricultural laws, and see if you can do it. Now we're about to stand the test. I remember when, my, when we bought our first apartment in Eretz Yisrael, our lawyer, I love it when my lawyer says it to our tour in the elevator, uh, our lawyer says that now you're on a new level of Kedusha. Because there's, just like the, the, he quotes the Ali Shore, he says, just like a person graduates to a higher level of responsibility when you get married, you have more mitzvahs, but more, and therefore more responsibilities and more potential kedusha. So too, if you're living in Eretz Yisrael and you own a plot of land in Eretz Yisrael, you can plant produce, much more work. We, we've got orla on our new on our new passion fruit tree, but it means we have many more opportunities to keep mitzvahs. I thought he was saying because you're going up the no, 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 I know that's true. Yeah, we're literally going up in, 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 every, in every which way. So you're in Eretz Israel, suddenly the stakes are higher. Um, the Knaanim are singled out uh, for destruction. The mitzvah in the Torah is to kill them all, all seven nations, because of their extreme evil. Um, and the Jews don't want it. We don't desire annihilation. Part of it is that we're not in by nature, we're not supposed to be, and really coming from Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, we're not really, we're nice guys. Everybody knows Mary, Jewish guy, is a nice guy, right? So we're nice guys. We're not militant by nature. We're kindly, we're peace-loving, and um, to, a, to, a, to a fault, some opted for passivity and friendship instead of fighting the Knani. And the blight of this generation in Yoshua and during the Shoftim was we never fully did the job. Only one tribe got rid of all the local Canaanim as they were supposed to, as the, as the Torah commanded. Which tribe? Yehuda. That's what you meant, Yehuda. Uh, Yehuda did the job, nobody else did, and we're all still paying for it. In fact, some want to say that even though they call themselves Palestinians, the name is a modern term, there's no ancient Palestinian people. They were, they, they, the, the Philistines long, long died away. Um, they, they are, they're local Arabs, but many of the locals haven't left the land. They simply converted, so it's entirely plausible, unprovable though, that the local, the local non-Jews are descendants of the original Canaanim. And had we d- done the job then, we may not be suffering the problems that Kali Yisrael suffers today. Uh, and one sees this, that, that throughout, throughout all, through Yeshua and Shoftim, throughout history, they were the perennial thorns in our side. The uh, Yehuda who does the job, that's one of the reasons that they're the leaders of the, of, 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 uh, of the Jews, as we're called. The Kibush, the conquering, lasts seven years. It's never complete, as we said. Um, and, and after, after the uh, seven years, after the 14 collective years, they moved the Mishkan from Gilgal to the city of Shiloh. Shiloh, where it will stay for... Not, no, 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 no. Here's the Mishkan in the desert. So they'll move to Shiloh. Here are two renditions uh, of Shiloh. For 300... They're real, they're real illustrations. 369 years. It's slightly different in configuration. The Mishnah goes into this. It's stone walls and a curtain roof. But it's effectively the, the, the Mishkan. It's the center of gravity for the Jews. When the Mishkan is in Shiloh, Bamos are prohibited. No private get, no private backyard for Bamos for you, uh, for you Jews. Um, they divide the, the, the remnants of the land. They do it by lottery. It's a fascinating story with lots of ramifications. Um, in Shiloh, there's the Aron Abris, there's the Ali Regal, the Big Korbonos. Uh, the problem at the end of Yoshua is they never do the job. The, the Medrash explains dividing the land became too important to them. Everybody was too caught up with which property they were going to get. 
Uh, and when you get too overwhelmed with materialism, as we see in our own days, because every message you get from the Tanakh is relevant to us today, when you get too overwhelmed and over-focused over on material acquisition, you lose sight of the spiritual importance of life. So that's, that's the message in the end of Sefer Yoshua. We'll pick up with the period of the Shoftim, the judges, tomorrow. Yeah.